are in the book of Genesis, and today we are going to talk about Genesis chapter 25. If you have missed some of the sermons, they are online. You can feel free to go there and hear them at fogkc.com. You can also hear them on your uh, app, on the Fog app. So be sure and get that on your phone if you don't have it on your phone already. And if you still have a flip phone, we'll pray for you to get a better phone this week so you can stay up to date with everything going on here at Fellowship of Grace. I want to talk to you today about Genesis chapter 25 and what we see here, folks, is that God is ultimately in charge. God is ultimately in charge. Now, let's be honest. We may know that intellectually. We may know that that is true. We may even uh, proclaim it at times. But don't we occasionally just wonder if that's really true? I mean, I don't know about you, but when I look at the chaos in the world, I wonder, is God really in control? When I look at the chaos, even in our own country, the divisiveness that has come, I wonder, is God really in charge? Even in our city, which has one of the highest murder rates, crime rates, is God really still in charge? And I don't know about you, but even in my very life, I see the chaos that takes place sometimes. And I wonder, is it really true that God is totally in charge? Let's see how God makes it clear that his will is going to happen. It is going to be accomplished one way or another in Genesis 25 today. In the beginning of chapter 25, Sarah, Abraham's wife, has already died. She has already uh, died and been buried. Uh, But Abraham takes another wife. Her name is Keturah who has several children, including at least six sons, by this new wife. And then I want us to pick up, we're not going to read every verse in chapter 25, but I want to encourage you to do that this week. But let's start with verse 5 and 6 and just see that here Abraham sends away his other sons besides Isaac. Look at verses 5 and 6. It says, Abraham gave all he had to Isaac, but to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts. And while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country. Now, we see here that uh, before Abraham dies, and he's going to die here in just a little bit, he's getting to the end of his life, he gives some gifts to all of his sons that he had with Keturah, but then he sends them away. Now, it says here that she was his concubine, but it says earlier that she is his new wife. Uh, These sons are not part of the covenant. They are not under the promise of God, Uh, that God has made with Abraham. Isaac is the only one that the promise will live through. Now Abraham dies and he's buried along Sarah, his wife, by Isaac and Ishmael. And don't get caught up in the whole, is she a wife or a a concubine? We think, we're not totally sure about this because it calls her both words. We think that probably she was a servant of the household of Abraham. And then after Sarah passed away, uh, Abraham took her as a wife. So she, uh, in her life, had been uh, both. But Abraham gives something. He gives a gift to each one of his sons, to each one of his children, and he sends them away. He says, you guys, get out of here. I'm going to give everything uh, that is my inheritance to my real legitimate son. And uh, uh, he gives those uh, to Isaac. Now, we're not going to read verse 8, but in verse 8 it says that Abraham died basically an old man full of years, and he, he was gathered to his people. And what that means is that he left a great legacy. Now, uh, folks, we need to hear this, and especially men. He lived a long, good life. He was a good man before God, 
and he left a good legacy with his family. His family was all gathered around him when he died. Let me tell you something. If we can live a long and good life and be on our deathbed with all of our family surrounding us because they love and respect us, gentlemen, that's about as good as we can do. That is about the best we can do. And I can tell you that uh, uh, that's a goal for me and I hope it's a goal for you. Ladies, that's a goal for you too, but uh, there's just something about being the patriarch of a family that uh, if we can leave a good legacy, it has possibility for generations to come. Now after this, Ishmael, if, if you remember, uh, he was born of Abraham and Sarah's servant Hagar uh, when Abraham and Sarah were old and they took it upon themselves to try and fulfill God's promise on their own. Ishmael and all of his descendants move away from Isaac after Abraham dies into what is now the Arab states in the Middle East. Uh, they, they basically become the Arabs. Uh, Ishmael and Isaac, their descendants will fight for all time, even until now, you see the nation of Israel and the Arabs uh, at odds with each other. And that has been the case since Isaac and Ishmael uh, separated and Ishmael moved his folks farther east. Now Isaac and Rebekah, his new wife now, his wife now face a similar challenge that Abraham and Sarah did. And I want you to see that in fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant, Isaac's wife Rebekah conceives. Now this doesn't uh, necessarily seem like a big deal. A woman gets pregnant. It's not a big miracle, right? I mean, uh, but we see here in, these, in the passage we're going to read that, that Rebecca had the same issue that Sarah had. She was barren. She couldn't have children. And we'll see that that uh, puts things kind of at risk. Uh, just as they were for Abraham and Sarah, now they are for his son, I, their son, uh, Isaac, and his wife, Rebecca. Look what it says in verses 19 through 21. It says, These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Now in those two verses, or three verses, it doesn't seem like such a big deal. He prayed for a child, and she conceived. But it doesn't say there that it was 20 years. He prayed for 20 years. And instead of taking matters into his own hands or into their own hands, Isaac prayed and he waited and he prayed and he waited and he was patient and he let God's plan unfold in God's time, but it took 20 years. Now, I know the kids are in here today because it's the fifth Sunday of the month. Kids, I want you to listen to me for a minute. We see here that Isaac learned from his parents' mistakes. Now, every parent in this room wants their children to have a better life than we had, don't you? Uh, three do, okay? And all of us want our children to be more successful than us, want them to have more success in life and relationships and all those things, and we really want them to avoid the pitfalls that we found ourselves in, especially those we created ourselves, right? So instead of taking matters into their own hands, he just prayed. He learned from his father's mistake, a very good lesson. Hey, don't do like Father Abraham did 
almost broke into the song. Uh, don't do what Father Abraham did by trying to take matters. Stay the course. Be patient. Wait on God. Pray earnestly and ask God for help. And God finally, after 20 years, God answered his prayer. Let me ask you this. When we experience what I would call maybe a barren patch in life, do we do the right thing? I think what, I think what Isaac did here should be our strategy. Perhaps you're here today and you want children, but God just hasn't given them to you yet. Or maybe you want to get married, but you just haven't found the right person yet. Or your kids have gone astray and they haven't come back to God yet. Remember, folks, God has not abandoned you. He has not forgotten you. Nothing takes him by surprise. He is teaching us to depend on him no matter what the circumstance. God is way more interested in what is happening in you than what is happening around you. And he uses these situations to increase our faith, to grow our patience, to grow our dependence on him. Listen, if you say to yourself, hey, I got this big problem and I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray for three days and if it doesn't work, I'm taking matters into my own hands. You're never gonna learn to depend on God. You say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna begin to pray and I'm gonna pray till God works it out. That might be a day, it might be a week, it might be a month, it might be a year, it might be a decade. For Isaac and his wife, Rebecca, it was 20 years but God answers Isaac's prayer according to his will, not Isaac's, but God's, and his wife then conceives. So in this particular instance, it is kind of a miracle. It is a big deal that she waited, she waited, she prayed, they prayed together, and finally she conceives. Now, Rebecca's pregnancy wasn't quite like everyone else's. Our church is going through another baby boom, which is awesome. There's more than one way to grow a church, right? And we want to take, we want to grow a church in all ways possible. But here we see that her pregnancy doesn't go uh, quite the way that most of them go. She gives birth to twins who are born to be rivals. Now, I know some of you are thinking to yourselves, well, I've got two kids that were born to be rivals. No, no, not like this. Not like this. Look at Genesis uh, chapter 25, verses 22 through 28. Look what it says. It says, the children struggled together within her. And she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other and the older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in the womb in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. There's the 20 years. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but, but Rebekah loved Jacob. 
So Rebecca is having twins, and the scripture here says they're literally wrestling with each other while they're still in the womb. They are literally fighting inside of her. Uh, now, ladies, I know that some of, many of you in here have, have experienced pregnancy, uh, and some of you were a very active baby. Some of you have experienced twins, and some of you are currently experiencing twins. Uh, I don't know that anybody has ever said to me, man, my kids are just fighting inside me. That's what they were doing. That's what they were doing. Why? Why were they doing this? She asked God, what's going on here? Why do they do this? God answers her. He says, there are two nations within you, two complete people groups inside you that will be divided. They will be at odds with each other for their whole lives. And in fact, if you look carefully at the history, their lineages, their legacies will be at odds with each other for the rest of their lives. And then God says, and the older will serve the younger. Now, this was God's sovereign plan. The the law of primogeniture had already been established, which meant that the older son would receive the birthright and the vast majority of the inheritance. But God here chooses the younger to receive the blessing according to his will. God just chooses them before they were born. God just chooses them. So when they were born, Jacob was grabbing, he was trying to get out first. He was vying for position. He tried to get out first to get the birthright, but he lost. The two boys grew up and Esau was a manly man. He was a hunter, tough guy. You know what what I mean, the manly man type. And, and, And Isaac loved the game that he brought home to eat. He was rugged, rough, manly through and through, kind of like what I look like when I go out hunting. (laughs) Manly man, rugged, tough kind of man. But Jacob, Jacob, he was a mama's boy. Now, if you grew up a mama's boy, there's nothing wrong with that. But it says he was living in tents and he was favored by his mother. Now, this was common. It was very common for the firstborn son to, to, to kind of dad take him under his wing and kind of be his favorite his whole life and invest his life into him. And, and many times, a son number two, three, four, five, six, seven, and eight, they'd all be mama's boys because they stayed with mom in the tents while dad took out the, the son, the one who was going to get uh, the inheritance with him and taught him how to be a man. So Esau was Isaac's favorite, and Jacob was Rebekah's favorite. And it didn't, seem, it didn't seem like they tried to hide this either. I mean, it was, it, was, it was almost pretty clear. Now listen, as parents, we tell all of our children that we love them the same, don't we? Well, let's be honest for a minute. We know that's not true. You have a favorite, right? I'm just kidding. Kids, I'm kidding. They don't have a favorite. That was for you kids. See if you're paying attention. They don't have a favorite. We love all of our kids. But, but it's kind of obvious that Isaac spent the majority of time with Esau, doing stuff with him, teaching him how to be this rugged man. And Jacob spent the majority of time with his mom. Why did God choose Jacob over Esau? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's not, the Bible's not clear on this. Why didn't God just change the order of how they came out? 
Why didn't, when they were in there wrestling, why didn't he just move them around a little bit and let Jacob come out first and it'd all be normal, right? Why didn't he do that? Maybe, just maybe, God wants to show us what it is we're talking about today, that his will is going to be accomplished no matter how the natural circumstances appear. Now we're getting into a pretty rough thing to think about here, this whole predestination thing. Now, I don't think we are robots whose choices for every little thing have already been determined. I don't think before the foundation of the world, God had chosen a pair of socks for me to put on today, and that's the pair of socks I absolutely had to put on. I, couldn't, I had no choice or thought in the matter. I don't think he's chosen what I'm going to have for lunch today. I don't think that every single decision in our lives has already been decided, predetermined, and we're just living through this world with no ability to have any interaction except to just do what God has foretold or, or for, uh, you know, put before us, predestined us to do. But I don't think God allows just things to, to be determined by us. We have to realize here that God has a plan for the world and God has a plan for us that he is working out in front of us for our benefit and for his glory. Listen, I never chose to be a pastor. I never decided one time that the career I was pursuing wasn't good enough and I just, I just thought I'd be a pastor instead and started Fellowship of Grace it's not how it happened. The way it happened, it got to the place where God put something in my heart and, and if I didn't do it, it was gonna kill me. I mean, I had no idea he was gonna do this. Many people had no idea. In fact, I still talk to people from my childhood, from my high school, and they find out I'm a pastor and they're like, wow, really? That's really surprising. I'm like, yeah, I know. Me too. I'm surprised too. There are certain things and parts of our lives, folks, that God is working out according to his will and he's gonna work them out. Whether we decide to work with him or not, that's really our choice. Am I gonna get up in the morning and am I gonna say, God, I wanna do your thing today. I wanna be in harmony with you, doing your will, your way, in your timing. I wanna be patient for you. I want, to, I want to move forward and do what you want me to do. I want to be in the center of where you want me to be, God. Help me find that and help me do that. Or we can say, God, I'm going to fight you every step of the way today. I'm going to do what I want, when I want, how I want, to who I want, and I just double dog dare you to stop me. Now, I know that seems very black and white, <laughs> We're either going to do what God wants or we're going to fight against him, folks. As always, those are our two choices, to go along with God's plan or watch him force it on us. And folks, that just never goes well. It just never goes well. Now we see in the last part of chapter 25 how Esau loses his birthright. Up until this place, uh, these, these boys are uh, almost fully grown if not fully grown, and uh, Esau is still first in line. He's still the older son. He's still, except for what God had told Rebekah, Esau is still in command 
of the inheritance when it happens. But look what happens in verses 29 through 34. We see that Esau sells his birthright to Jacob following God's sovereign plan. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, because he's in the tent hanging out with mom, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I am exhausted. Therefore his name was called Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Folks, here we see that Esau gladly gave up what was his to fill his belly. Now listen, I like a good meal. But man, that, that's just crazy. His natural appetite was so great and it was so much greater than his faith in God's promises for the future and for the covenant to be fulfilled. He just gave it up for a meal. And this wasn't even steak. It was stew. Esau, Esau should have defended his birthright. He should have given his life to keep it. He should have fought for it. It should have been something critically important to him. God's promises, uh, God's promises for him and his descendants were all in this Abrahamic covenant. He had every right to it. But he passes it up for a bowl of soup because he's hungry. Now, when we look at that and we read that, folks, let's be honest. We think to ourselves, man, Esau is just a fool. What a fool to do something like that. Giving up something so precious for something so temporal and so unfulfilling. But before we speak too harshly of Esau, don't we do the same thing when we turn our back on the power of God through the Holy Spirit in our lives and satisfy our flesh in some way for something temporal? We need to be careful. We need to be cautious that we don't pull an Esau by doing what is temporarily fulfilling and turning our backs on that which God has made eternal. And folks, we do that a lot. Every single time we, and I know we don't think through all this in our mind, but we, we play it out. Every, time, every single time that we go, yes, I believe Jesus gave his body and his blood for me. Yes, I believe I've put my faith and trust in him uh, uh, to save me from my sins. He has done that. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I can't fix that myself. And I put my faith and trust in who he is and what he did. But now, I'm gonna go do what I want today. And I know he wouldn't like it, but I'm doing it anyway. Folks, in that moment, we're doing the same exact thing that Esau did. He's saying, I'm gonna give up something that is eternal, something that is, is uh, just 
incredibly precious for something that is temporal and physically fulfilling in some way. We need to be careful we don't do that, folks. We need to be careful we don't do that. We see here that God is in charge. God's will, he he mentions it, he, he says it, explains it to Rebecca while the boys are still in her womb. And the boys fulfill exactly what God had told her because, folks, God is ultimately in charge. He is ultimately in charge. And we need to decide if we are going to do what he wants or if we're going to fight against him. I can tell you there have been times in my life where I have, man, there's been just times where I have been, had a sweet closeness with God and and just said, God, I'm I'm just gonna do everything you want, God. If it kills me, I'm just gonna do it because of what you have done for me through your son, Jesus. And there and there have been times and seasons where I've said, I know, God, I I know, I, I know you've done that and I know you'll forgive me, but I'm gonna do my own thing over here. Now, I've physically survived, but let me tell you, over here brings pain and guilt and remorse and circumstances that never go away. And all God's asking of us is, listen, will you just be on this side? Will you just follow me and do what I ask? He has good plans for you, folks. He has good plans not to harm us, but to love us, to help us. By the way, that doesn't mean things are gonna be easy because God is not interested in making us happy or making our lives easy. He is interested in making us like his son, Jesus. And I know all of you are probably way more uh, intelligent and way less hard-headed than I am. But man, to make me like Jesus, God has got to like bang me in the head a few times to get my attention, help me understand, help me follow him. But I want to encourage you today, knowing as we see in this passage that God is going to ultimately fulfill his will because he is in charge. Are you going to try to follow him and be with him and and be a part of his plan? Or are you going to continue, if you are, to follow your own plan. I want to encourage you. Don't do that. Don't do that. You're going to cause harm to yourself and to others that is just not necessary. Follow the Lord. Be a part of his plan. Be connected to what he wants for you and of you. And your life will be so much better. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this great story of these two brothers. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see that ultimately you are in charge. You're gonna do your thing. And Father, we wanna be a part of that. Help us to embrace it. Help us to embrace the call that you put on our lives to be ministers to others. God, if there's anyone in this room who maybe is, uh, you're putting a call in their life to participate in vocational ministry. God, I pray that you would help them to uh, not resist, but to yield. Yield to your will and your way in your timing. God, help us as we travel through this life day by day by day in a really chaotic world to know 
that you are still in charge, that nothing gets past you, nothing happens you're surprised about or that you haven't, in your permissive will, given the permission to happen. But God, help us to just embrace your plan for us. Embrace what you want for us and from us that we might live fulfilling lives that honor you, that make you famous in the world and that ultimately glorify you and lift you up. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.